What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Clean Libertarian Podcast. It's your one-stop destination for everything involving the war on drugs and what the libertarians want to do about it. And uh, today, I had a awesome, awesome guest on. Here's the problem with podcasting sometimes. So we do, you know, internet phone calls essentially and, and record the audio. And um, the internet was just acting up today. Had some latency issues. And as a result, uh, there was a couple of spots where we kind of talked on top of each other. But this is a really solid, solid guest that we had on today. Uh, Erica is somebody I followed on Twitter for a while. And um, she is involved, is knowledgeable in an area that I enjoy, and I found it therapeutic as uh, somebody who's in the recovery, you know, thing doing doing things that that aren't narcotics related anymore. I found gardening last year to be hyper therapeutic. Uh, it was just something that I could do that kind of kept my mind occupied. And I don't know, man. There's something about. Um, planting a plant and and taking you know the process from seedling to all the way up to something that you can harvest that i don't know i mean it's therapeutic it was great and so um erica came on today and she discussed you know how can we get started how can we you know start out if we we're coming from a basis of not knowing anything about gardening but wanting to get involved and uh she was gracious enough to share that so just stick with some of the audio issues. I did the best I could with it, and uh, you'll you'll learn something. And so, um, with that, I'm going to introduce Erica. All right, and I am here with my friend Erica. Erica, how are you doing today? Doing great. How about you? I cannot complain. Life is good. Uh, we're right on the cusp <laughs> of spring, and um, you know, as you know, I wanted to bring you on to kind of. Tell us how to get prepared uh, for the upcoming gardening season. But uh, before we get into that, you want to kind of give a brief rundown on who you are and, and what you're all about? Yeah, sure. So I am on Facebook and Twitter as The Earth Nerd Anarchist, and I'm also on YouTube. And so I make content related to um, homesteading, gardening, um, just like green anarchy in general, that sort of thing. I, I really, that's where I'm passionate about. So like, that's, uh, that's what I do. And I, I teach people how to, uh, move away from the, the prepackaged, the, the plastic, you know, um, that way we can reduce our dependence on corporations and, uh, start being more free in that way. Yeah, that's, that's always a plus. I think for me, like where I got my mind opened was w when the whole COVID thing really started to come down and there was that panic about, Oh my God, the food lines are going to be, you know, the, the supply lines are gone and, and, you know, restaurants or a grocery store started taking a uh -huh. hit. Uh, it scared me, you know, I was like, Oh God, here we go. You know? So I wanted to start learning. So I'm, I'm really grateful to have you on Oh yeah. to kind of talk. Now, how did you, how did you get into this? Were your parents big on, um, on this lifestyle or did you kind of pick this up on your own? I mostly picked this up on my own. My grandparents gardened. Um, they weren't, they didn't garden in the same way that I did though. They do like the regular 
planting in rows and uh, like the traditional when we think of gardening like that's what they did they planted everything in rows um, and it it was a very limited method of gardening and so I did have exposure to it as a kid but in terms of the style of gardening that I came into that like that was like on my own okay right on that's that's pretty much what my grandparents did too you know um, my grandparents were in you know old Texas cowboy types mm -hmm. and they had their peach trees and obviously watermelon. I mean, hell you could throw a seed yeah. on the ground and watermelon grows, you know, out there. Um, and, and so I, I was like <laughs> you, I had a real limited understanding on what, you know, it takes to have fertility and, and things like that. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped to be learning this stuff. So let's just get into it. Like where, where does one begin? Yeah right now let's 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 okay. assume that that the people who are who are listening to this are going into their very first ever season of gardening how do we get started okay so what i do because uh, i've i've actually moved around a lot so <laughs> i have experience with being a, a first-time gardener in a lot of different places so um what you want to do is look at your hardiness zone um, so the government has split the, well, it's the government and the farmer's almanac has split the U S into categories based on their climate, what grows best, um, at what time, when your first and last frost dates are, um, that's going to help you with deciding when you want to start your plants and about when you'll harvest them. So. Um, I'm in, I'm currently in six, six B, I believe. And so that has a lot of influence on when I start my plants. And so you'll have to look up your location. Like you can type into Google, uh, your city state hardiness zone, and it'll tell you all the information you need to know, um, as, as far as your last frost date. Um, and, and the reason that that's useful, the last frost date, is because you can start your plants before that and go ahead and have them ready to put in the ground. And uh, that way, like you're not, because if you if you go ahead, if you wait until your uh, if you wait until your frost date to put the plants to put the seeds in the ground, then um, your growing season is shorter. But if you get a head start then you put your plants in the ground and they're already you know like three four inches tall by the time you put them in the ground so you can potentially harvest more if you go ahead and get that head start um so the the last frost date is important and obviously you don't if you even if you don't get a head start you don't want to put seeds in the ground or or plant starts in the ground when the ground is still frozen. So it's just really good information to have. Um, so okay. that's where I would start. Okay. So, and, and when you talk about starting your plants, what I did, so just for the record, I have one year <laughs> under my belt of, of failed season. I think <laughs> I got, I got cucumbers to go, but that was about it. But I have a whole bunch of those little, um, uh, they're like the starter trays, you know, with the little clear plastic top that goes uh -huh. on top. Is that what you mean by starting them before the frost date in, in the house? 
Um, so you can use that. I've never had any luck with the peat moss, those little peat moss tablets that they put in there, but the trays are good. Um, but yeah, basically starting your seeds inside the house. So I use, if you're, if you are going from seed, like if you're going to plant seeds, basically using the plate germination method is like foolproof in my experience. So putting it a plate, um, a paper towel on top of it, and then like, like have it be sort of wet, like moist, I guess. And then you put your seeds on it and then put them in a plastic bag or something like put some kind of covering over it and just let the seeds like sprout basically. And then when they're sprouted, you can put them into those little, um, into those little trays. But in, in my experience, I like, you know how you can buy those kits in the store and they have peat moss. Yeah. Like I, I wouldn't use that to be honest. I would use the tray, but not the, the peat moss. I would use soil instead. Um, like just put soil into those and then start it that way. But yeah, you have them in the house, uh, for however long, depending on the plant, um, depending on how long that plant needs to get to be a decent size. And then, uh, like a, a few inches, I would say. And then you let them sit outside and like harden over, I guess is what it's called. <laughs> and like, let them get used to being outside. And then you put them in the ground and that prevents uh, transplant shock. Okay, so kind of having like basically where it's if almost you put like your plants in the ground. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, uh, I was just gonna say like basically that keeps it from dying. Like your plant can get kind of freaked out <laughs> if you transition it too quickly, and and they'll die that way. Okay, now that that is almost like whenever you get a pet fish. And you bring the fish home and then you put the, the, the water, the bag in the water and all that, right? Kind of the same idea. Yeah. Yeah. Just like that. Yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah, now you got to get it accustomed to the temperature and the, and the climate and stuff like that. See, I'm already so learning that really stuff. helps with preventing them from getting sick or dying. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I was going it's about really it. interesting stuff. And like, this is stuff. I was going about it with, sorry, the, with the um, idea of just like I, I had the peat moss things and, and I got some of my seeds to take, not all of them. I'm interested to try out this new plate mm -hmm. method. But um, but what I did was like took them directly from inside the house outside and then it was like half of them lived, the other half died. So that it would explain that. Yeah. They're very spotty results with the peat moss. I, I usually don't. I like the idea of the tray though. And there are some that you can get um, I, I don't remember if I can find, if I can rem like remember at some point and like, I'll make a post about it on Twitter, um, about the trays that you can get because they have just the trays. You don't have to buy the, the peat moss, but yeah, I, I've just never had any luck with it. So I, I don't really want to advocate for it. Like it's kind of spotty results, but the plate germination and, um, like then transferring that into soil in those little trays, that's been a great option for me. So I think that would help most people. 
Okay, that's uh, that's a start. We're on to something now. I, I, I appreciate that. Now, the um, other question I yeah. had for you, you talked about using soil instead of peat moss. Now, what type of soil? Is this soil you know, directly from the ground? Do you buy potting soil? Like what, what do you, what's your go-to there? Um, so I buy, I buy the soil specifically for it. I don't, um, you can, if your soil conditions are good, um, I wouldn't do that. I would just buy some, um, just because like, at least in, at least where I'm at, like, I don't know what this soil has been exposed to. And I don't, I don't typically grow my like food plants in the soil. That's like where, how do I explain this? <laughs> like I don't typically just grow it. Like I'll make a raised bed is what I'm trying to say. Um, I grow out of raised beds. So like I wouldn't just put it in the ground that I have in my backyard right now. Um, I would buy soil and then um, move it into a raised bed that also has soil that I've bought. Okay. Um, and that's just because like the, the issue with the, the soil that's at least in my case, I, that, this is not going to be everybody. If you have good soil, like go right ahead and use it. But I just like, I don't. So, um, but if you, if you have good soil conditions and it's not compacted, it's not got any pesticides or fungicides or whatever, then you're good. You can use it. But I can't guarantee that where I'm at. So I would just prefer to buy it and like cut through that potential bad thing. Um, so, yeah, um, you can just buy it. Like I buy mine at, uh, at Lowe's or Home Depot. And it doesn't really matter too much. Um, the brand I, I haven't had, okay. like I've used a lot of different soils and I haven't really had varying results. You know, it's been about the same. <laughs> right. Right. But where now, have you the um, ever attempted? I think we got a Do delay. What? I think we got a delay. Sorry. Oh, okay. I, what I was going to ask, ask you is, um, do you ever, have you ever tried to make your own potting soil? Like what I mean is like taking, cause I've heard people doing this to save cost on, you know, buying bags of potting soil, but taking some of the, their ground soil and then adding nutrients, you know, manually to it. And then almost like a compost pile, but oh, yeah. making soil. Have, have you ever done that? Yeah, you can absolutely do that if you have the the conditions to do that. Absolutely. Um, and so what what you could do is if you are in a place where you're going to be there for a while, like if you own your home or you rent and it's okay that you garden, um, you can do the methods that I talk about in just your plain like yard. Like if you know there's no pesticides or anything, um, you could take uh, compost and do like sometime in the winter, like, or not winter, I'd say fall, like in the fall, you can put a layer of compost over where you're going to garden and those nutrients will seep into the soil over winter. And then your, your soil will be good to go in spring and just do that. I do it every spring and every winter. You want to add a layer of compost on top of your soil and then a layer of straw over that and that will give your soil nutrients. 
and br give it, bring it back to life and start attracting some of those little critters that are super beneficial. Okay. That's, that sounds, um, so when you say straw, you have to make sure it's legit straw, right? Not just cut, cut grass. Yeah. Well, actually some people have experimented with, um, with just the chop and drop, like, uh, you cut your grass, you rake your leaves, you, you do whatever you can do that. Um, like I don't, I don't do that usually, <laughs> um, unless it's like a weed growing up in the, uh, in the garden that I'll like pull it and just kind of throw it. But, um, yeah, I usually don't use cut grass. You can use um, straw, which I get from Tractor Supply. Um, I guess you could use, you could use grass if you, because I don't know, I don't have a whole lot of grass here. Okay. <laughs> so, but yeah, you could definitely do that. I think that would work the same. It's just the the point of it is to um, it it provides drainage. Um, so that like an issue, for example, like tomatoes, if you get water on the leaves, your plant is going to be susceptible to blight and we don't want that. And so having that layer of straw, that thick, like it's thick and durable more so than grass. That's why I would, I would recommend grass. I mean, I would recommend uh, the straw is because of the durability. Um, but you can use grass if you have enough of it. Um, but that it keeps that water from splashing back up onto your plants and causing diseases. Okay. So now, now we've got an idea for our soil. We've got an idea for, you know, starting our plants. Now, one of the terms that I hear a lot of, uh, you know, like I've heard Jack Spierko talk about it and other people who are, you know, in the know, what does soil fertility mean? Uh, is that covering the same bases that we've already covered or is that something a little bit different? Uh, from my understanding, that's we we I touched on it. Um, it's so uh, where I had said you want to put a layer of compost and then a layer of straw on top. That addresses soil fertility in in my mind because it provides nutrients to the soil, but also it attracts um, like insects and and little critters that help like and it helps with worms. It helps with you know all those things that help your help the life cycle of your plant. Um, like a good indicator of what soil is healthy is usually when it's dark and when there's lots of little critters and bacteria and like fungi and all that, like that's how you know your soil is like alive. Um, so I think that's what, that's what they mean when they say that. Um, because like, like if you compare that, that I just described to like, the soil that you would see outside of a city building or something like in the city, um, that soil in the city is going to be compact. There's going to be almost no life to it. It's powdery. It's a light brown color. Like it, you can just tell that it's dead, <laughs> that there's, that there's been a lot of chemical sprayed on it. It's just not healthy soil. It's not what soil was meant to look like. Um, and when you look at it under a microscope, you can tell the same thing. Um, there's very little life in it. Um, and, and so that's not a conducive environment for your plants to grow in um, because they, they obviously need that nutrients. They need the, um, they need the bacteria. They need the little critters to 
grow. Okay. So that, that explains it. And you kind of confirm what I had suspected, but you know, you, you hear new terms and you wonder what the hell is that? So thanks for laying that out. Um, yeah. <laughs> now, what, oh yeah. No you do raised raised beds. So, whenever you're planning out your uh -huh. raised bed gardens, are you coupling plants together in a certain manner, or are you uh, just kind of throwing them willy nilly wherever they fit? So I do. I organize my plants by size. Like when I'm first starting out at a place, like I do my first garden, like I will do it by size. Um, once they're ready to harvest so like my i grow mammoth sunflowers so like those are 12 feet tall so like that's going in the back right <laughs> um that's going in the back of the bed and then you know you get you work your way all the way to um to your plants that are that are smaller up front so that they're easily accessible that's that's what i do if you know if that works for you that's fine um but i do permaculture gardening so I don't do like the rows you know how like when you think of gardening people plant in rows like they'll have a row of tomatoes a row of you know whatever um, I, I don't really do that I and I also don't um, like till I do the no dig method um, <clears throat> so like I don't know I just don't I don't organize it the same way. Everything is sort of staggered, and I don't know how I could explain that. Um, but basically, like uh, a checkered pattern is basically how I how I organize it. Instead of having rows of of uh, tomatoes or rows of corn or rows of sunflowers, like doing a, a checkered pattern um, it allows for more space for your plants to grow. It, it just seems more efficient to me. Um, like having more space for them to grow. So they're not all like packed in there. Yeah. That's seeing, that's what I want to uh, get better at because like I said, I did cucumber and you already know cucumber just goes ballistic, you know? Um, yeah. The other one, <laughs> yeah. the other one that I did was watermelon and I didn't realize mm -hmm. how much real estate that those two were going to take up. And the bitch of it is mm -hmm. Erica, I didn't even get a watermelon. I wasted so much. Oh, no. I know, right? I, I wasted so much space on this damn plant that didn't produce. <laughs> but um, so that's that's kind of why I wanted to yeah. ask you that. Like, is watermelon or cucumber or another viney type of plant is that something that that you've had experience with? And and how do you deal with the exponential growth of something like that? I would, I would grow those separately, like separate away from your other plants. Like if you can do, um, especially cucumbers, cause I had that problem, uh, last gardening season was like the overflow of cucumbers. <laughs> like it was spilling out of the, out of my raised bed. There was so many, um, I, I'll see if I can send a picture, but, um, yeah, like <laughs> if you can get away with it, I would grow those sort of separate from the rest of your plants because they do take up so much space. Um, same with like your, your squash and uh, squash and zucchinis, those sort of plants need a lot of space. Um, and that, that's just how I would do it. You don't have to, but that's, that's what I would do. Just in my mind, it would make sense. That way they have enough room to spread out. They're not, uh, they're not being choked out by 
uh, your more uh, linear plants. <laughs> yeah, like the uh, the squash, you know, they get those big elephant ear type leaves on them. And I, so, uh -huh. so I got a raised bed and then I got an in-ground bed. I, I have two. And the raised bed is where I, like an idiot chose to put the squash and my God, like that whole area just exploded. So I'm going to have to go with a different method this year. Um, so that's, that's good information. So just keep them separate. Now, one of the tricks that I did pick up on was that uh, marigolds and tomatoes do, do really well when they're potted together. Uh-huh. Now is, is there, yeah, there are some companion plants is, that are beneficial. Um, is there any that, that are your go-to? <laughs> Like, do you have any that, that you um, choose to do year after year? There's the old classic, the tomato and basil. Um, and I learned that when you, uh, like, I learned that you can flip tomatoes upside down in a 10-gallon bucket or a 5-gallon bucket and then plant basil on top. I'm still not, I, like, I love that. I love that idea. And it's, it's not in the ground, but it's like a really cool hanging plant, in my opinion. That's really cool. Well, hold on. I, this, um, is, this is new. Yeah, that's, tomatoes that's a and basil. concept. That's awesome. I didn't know that yeah, you Yeah, you basically cut a hole in the bottom. Yeah, you cut a, uh, like a decent-sized hole in the bottom of a bucket. And you can get these buckets. You can get them at, uh, like, Walmart Deli or any sort of deli section, like they're, they're usually pretty cheap. You don't have to buy like a Home Depot bucket if you don't want to. But um, yeah, you basically just get a, a bucket, cut a hole into it that's a decent size. That way your stem has enough room, your tomato stem has enough room. And uh, then you, you plant, like you basically put your starter in upside down and then like fill it up with soil and then on top of that you put your basil or you can I think you can do pretty much any uh any green like that any herb like that but basil is like the go-to um and then you just plant it on top and then hang it up and they grow super well together and uh there's let me see zinnias are a really good companion plant um I grew those with what did I do that with last time? That was near, zinnias were near the cucumbers, I believe, last time. So I, I grow um, not just like edible plants, but like the pretty pretty stuff too. <laughs> like zinnias are really good to grow. Um, and they basically, from my understanding, they fix the nitrogen in the soil. And yeah, that it just like is... I don't know that it's a particular plant that it's good to be with, but it's just good with like companion planting with pretty much anything. Um, I believe it's those and there's another flower I can't think of that's really good. And then like you said, the marigolds are really good. Um, but yeah, those, I, I don't do too much of the companion planting because sometimes it like, it can be misleading the advice about companion planting, but some things do, just work <laughs> there okay. are a couple of them and you have to use your discernment but some of them do work really well and those are the examples of that so xenia xenia will help with the nitrogen is there anything that will help with the calcium because i think that that's one of the things that i ran into last year was uh a couple of my plants had a calcium deficiency i know for sure uh my my tomatoes mm. did because i started getting that blossom end rot 
Yeah. Um, I haven't encountered that issue, so I'm not sure if I can find some information about that. I definitely will. I like, I'll make a post about it because I don't, I haven't had that. Um, my, m the most issues I've had with tomatoes has been blight, but since learning about the straw thing that hasn't happened, but yeah, I'm not sure, honestly. Okay. I, and I think maybe what we're, but we I would imagine like have, using, we probably have different, um, you know, regions that we're in, you know, I know that we're in vastly different yeah. time zones. So I can imagine that like, you know, conditions in my backyard are, are quite a bit different than the conditions in yours. <laughs> yeah. I'm up here in Washington. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, you've got you've got way more favorable favorable conditions than I do here in Oklahoma. You know, we get we get those obnoxious hot days and what have you. Mm -hmm. Well, we get it's freezing cold up here all the time. Like <laughs> even so, I'm from originally from Georgia, and the the climate is obviously very different. It's like super hot in Georgia, and then it's like really cold here in Washington. <laughs> So very different growing conditions. So how, how did that look for you? Like when you made that, when you made that, did you grow in, in Georgia too, or did you just start gardening in, in uh, Washington? No, I, I, I grew plants in, so I've lived in Georgia, Tucson, um, and then Washington and Idaho. And those are like Idaho and Washington are not, too different like that's not really a huge difference but georgia and tucson are completely different <laughs> so yeah there was a bit of a learning curve with that because i've i grow i've grown plants since i was like i want to say 16. um i've been really into gardening and stuff like that but um oh and i wanted to mention i think the the compost like doing the compost i think that would help with the calcium maybe not like huge amount but at least um I, I want I almost forgot to go back and mention that but um but yeah the the growing conditions are very different in the different places that I've lived so it's been a a, a learning curve for sure uh, with the different climates the different soil conditions obviously in like Tucson you can't grow you can't direct sow your seeds because it's basically sand and rock so yeah. yeah, you have to do raised beds there. And I think that's where I fell in love with it, though, because, like, I, I didn't really have an appreciation. I was container gardening in Georgia, and then I did um, raised beds in Tucson, and, like, that's where I sort of fell in love with it because I was able to actually make them. And I don't know. I was just really proud of it, and I had really good results. So that's uh, and I feel like yeah, it was, it was interesting to learn. I feel like with the raised beds and the containers, at least in my experience, because we have, um, what the hell are those little voles? Voles is what we got. And so I had the problem, like I couldn't isolate, you know, uh, things that were trying to overcome my garden as much in the in-ground as I could in the raised bed. Like in a raised bed, I could build a fence, you know, that's off the ground. So I don't have to worry about, you know, little critters yeah. burrowing into my garden. So I'm with you. Like I, I definitely prefer the method of a raised bed or a container garden as opposed to in-ground just for that reason alone. 
Yeah, and you know what you can do. I saw this guy. If you don't follow him, uh, his his channel on YouTube is sub. I think it's Suburban Homestead, and he does. So he lives in Maryland, and he's got like this um, groundhog problem where they they keep going after his strawberries and his other plants. Um, and he had to build these cubes to put on top of his. Uh, on top of his raised beds in order to prevent those. And it's basically just a wood frame that's a cube and then it's got chicken wire on it on each side except for the bottom. And then he just puts it over the raised bed like a lid and <laughs> it protects his plants and it works really well for him. So that may be something to keep in mind if you've got like ground burrowing creatures or, you know, whatever that's, that's coming after your plants that might actually help. Um, and I can send you a link to that channel because it's yes, please do. another wealth of information about gardening. Yeah. I'd like to uh, yeah. plug him. I, obviously I'll, I'll plug your YouTube channel as well because you're doing your thing and, and I'm appreciative. Thank you. Um, now we, we talked briefly about composting. So, so far we've, we've discussed uh -huh. kind of like the beginning stages and composting is something you can do year round. So can you, how, yes. what's the best way to do that? How do we get started composting? So um, basically what I do is uh, you save your like kitchen scraps that are like, I don't put meat or anything. Like don't, I wouldn't put meat in. I mean, I guess you could, but I, I just don't. And I've had luck with, with what I've done, but. Uh, you put your, your fruit peels and your, your kitchen scraps into um, the, the compost pile that's set away from everything and you turn it, um, I think you can turn it like twice a year and basically that's like, how do I describe this? It's like a wood, like the way that I've done it has been like a wood structure that has three sides and you, you put your pile in that and let it basically like you just kind of leave it alone and then you turn it a couple of times and let it heat up. And that's pretty much um, what you do. If, if you don't want to use one of those containers that you buy, like some, you can buy the setup, like a compost setup, but I just don't. Um, I, I just do it in the yard. <laughs> right on. But, yeah. That's way easier. Um, but yeah, if you, yeah, if you get the the setups, um, you have to buy the worms for it and, you know, get the the starting um, the starting soil for it and stuff like that. So, um, so what, that's what worth keeping in mind too. I mean, you have you to get starting the starting what, soil. What is what is that? Like you can do like you can use um, soil from the ground. And uh, I would actually encourage that. That's a, a way that you could turn your, your soil uh, into some, basically if you have like malnourished, uh, weak soil, you can um, basically get a pile of it and then put your like kitchen scraps, your, um, your, your brown material, so like your leaves and stuff like that, put all of that in there and it will turn that soil into something useful, which ends up being your compost. And then that turns into healthy soil for your plants to grow. 
Um, and that's, that's a way that you can start your compost is if you have dirt in your backyard, you can use that. Or if you want to buy it, you can do that too. Um, it's up to you though and your, your situation, but, um, you need some kind of starting soil, um, in order to build that heavy nutrient dense, uh, compost. That's where like I screwed up. Like I have to have up, something man. to compost into. <laughs> That's where I screwed up. I didn't know any of this. Like I, all I knew was to, uh, throw some, throw some shit in a, in a trash can, <laughs> throw a little water on it. Oh, I did no. it way wrong. So, uh, and that's, that's the other question I wanted to ask you. Okay. So we got our, we got our soil base. We know what we're putting in there. We know to only turn it a couple of times a year. And by turning it, uh, you mean like, you know, taking the bottom to the top, the top to the bottom, but do, uh -huh. do you add water throughout the process or do you just kind of let I nature don't. dictate that now granted i i you know you're in washington so I, I would imagine you guys get a lot more precipitation than i would you know here in oklahoma but do you add water manually right. yeah i uh, i don't know um you i i would assume if it gets like if it gets too dry maybe like if it starts burning <laughs> <laughs> like like on fire burning maybe but yeah, that, that, I think that would be something you'd have to be concerned about if you lived in like Tucson, but, but yeah, I, I wouldn't add water. I've never had to, um, just let nature do its thing. Let it rain, let it, you know, let it be dry. Cause it's gotta get hot. You want it to get super hot, um, to kill any seeds that are in there. Um, any seeds, any, uh, any bad stuff, any sort of bad bacteria, you want all of that to die from the heat. So, um, yeah, I typically don't have to add water to it. Okay. That's good info. Um, so now we've got our compost pile going and we can, you know, like I said, we could do that year round and, uh, we've gotten to the stage of planting. Mm -hmm. Now, do you, throughout the, throughout the season, throughout it's growing, you know, springtime comes around and all them little critters start to come out like the bugs and the, you know, whatever. Do you use any type of pesticide or do you just kind of let it go? The only thing I have had to use is here in Washington, I've had to use diatomaceous earth to, um, cause I had like a slug problem and, like I, I could not get rid of them. Like I would just pick them off the plant and throw them somewhere. <laughs> and like, like they were eating my plants. So, um, you can get diatomaceous earth at Home Depot. Um, I don't know if you can get it at Walmart, but I know you can at like Home Depot or Lowe's and it's just a little container of this white powder and you sprinkle it all over your plant and, uh, it's completely harmless. Like it's not going to hurt you if, you know, obviously wash your produce, but <laughs> it's not going to hurt you if it gets on your skin, if it, you know, um, if it's on your plants and you wash your produce and then eat your plants, it's, it's not going to hurt you. So, but it is going to be, in my experience, it has been very effective and, um, get it, keeping the plant eating pests away. Okay. And that, what was that called again? So that, that, and then like diatomaceous earth. Okay. I'll have, I will put that in the show notes and I'm going to go buy that myself because <laughs> I need it. I screwed up. See, like yeah, last year, 
there was a guy that I followed and he hadn't posted on Twitter in a while, but he turned me on to this idea of the three sisters and that's having squash, uh, corn and beans all in the same grow where the beans grow up the stock and whatever. Well, it was looking good. And then a friend of mine told me about this homemade pesticide with dish soap and water. And I thought, Oh, cool. I'll do that. And I murdered those three sisters. I mean, they were oh, no. dead. <laughs> so dead. So dead. Oh, no. so bad. Yeah. So I, I'm not going to make that mistake this year. I guarantee you that, you know? Yeah. Um, and I've seen like uh, those Pinterest uh, weed killer things. It's like dish soap, water and vinegar will like kill your plants. So yeah, I would just stick with natural, like as natural as possible. Um, certain conditions might necessitate neem oil, but I've never had to use that on these plants. Um, if you grow like marijuana, the neem oil would help, but I don't grow that. <laughs> so right. um, not anymore anyway. So <laughs> yeah, just I would stick with the, with the diatomaceous earth. You could even call it diet earth because um, that's what I do. <laughs> I call it diet earth. And um, yeah, it works. It keeps all the, the plant eating critters off and it doesn't harm the, the ones that are essential, the ones that are benefiting the soil for your plants, like your worms. Okay. So now we've, now we've got that laid out. Um, how do you, Obviously, you know, when harvest happens, you know, you harvest, you eat good, whatever. Now, what, what about the overabundance? Like, how do you store your veggies? Do you do that? Do you store for the winter? Um, so I haven't had a chance to do that yet, but I have done a ton of research and I have some experience with food preservation. So dehydrating, uh, canning, stuff like that, like home canning, that's going to be a, a staple if you're wanting to preserve over winter. And I, I love looking into that and learning about it. Um, I, I've done it. I just haven't had a chance to get a good stockpile up yet. Um, but yeah, learning about fermentation and, uh, cooking from scratch, your, your canning, all of those things, like those are good ways to help you preserve your produce over, um, and obviously cooking from scratch, you're going to eat it right then. But you know what I'm saying? Like, that's a good way to get the most use out of your garden. Um, and like with, with your herbs, like use those herbs, you can dehydrate them and powder them like in a, what is it called? A coffee grinder. Um, you can powder them and then store them in jars over winter. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is like, that's how long your herbs are supposed to last. Like I know, like I, I've done it. I'm guilty of it. Uh, keeping herbs that you like buy in the store, keeping them way longer than they're supposed to be and like be kept. And then they end up losing flavor. They're not as good. Um, they taste kind of like dry, not as exciting, but if you make your own, like you make your own garlic, uh, make your own, um, garlic salt, make your own basil to sprinkle, make, you know, grow your own parsley and then you dehydrate it. And okay. Okay. So now we're here. Um, and you were talking about using a coffee grinder for, uh, comp or 
uh, yeah, preservation? For, for uh, preserving your herbs, um, that's a good method. That's a good thing to keep in mind is that you can dry out your herbs, whether you use a dehydrator or you use a, uh, or you hang up your herbs to dry them, and then you just powder them with a coffee grinder, and uh, that will be a good way to preserve your herbs. Um, and also canning, like I had mentioned, um, and like and just simply learning to cook from scratch is a huge deal to make sure that you get the most use out of your your produce. Okay, so is this something, I know that you haven't done it yet, but is this something you're going to be getting into on your YouTube channel? Yes. Um, so I do a lot of like green content on there and I, I want to do gardening videos. Um, like I'm hoping to do that this growing season is to do gardening videos. And then also, um, I don't know if I'll be able to do it where I'm currently at, but I want to do some kind of canning um, and definitely I'll be doing herb preservation. So I know that'll be on there, um, drying herbs and, uh, powdering them, putting them in the, in jars and stuff like that. And just showing people the, the process. Okay. I'm looking forward to that. Cause I'll be, I'll be watching. And I'm sure a lot of my listeners will too. Oh, yeah, um, thank you. so we'll all be learning together. So <laughs> We've, we've gone through the whole phase of getting started and at least having a, a great understanding of, of where to begin. Um, so I, I can't thank you enough for coming on and, and discussing that with us. Oh, now, yeah, is there, no problem. Um, is there any beyond the YouTube channel and all that? Is there is there anything you want to plug? Now's your opportunity to do so. Um, I will. I'll plug my Twitter. It's uh, the, it's at. T E N E R D A N A R C H I S T. It's the Earth Nerd Anarchist. Um, but it's the way that I have it is T E N E R D Anarchist. Okay. Right on. That's, by the way, awesome name. Thank you. <laughs> it's <laughs> your personality you. well. It's, it's exactly the content that you're going to get, Boner. And Erica is, is a worthwhile follow. Absolutely. So Thank um, you. you got that. Now, what's the name of your YouTube channel? Um, so it's youtube.com slash Erica Payne, E-R-I-C-A-P-A-I-N. I was like an edgy teenager when I made my YouTube channel. Because so. <laughs> my last name is Payne, P-A-Y-N-E. So I was like an edgy teenager when I made that. but And I don't know how to change it. So I just kind of left it that. But yeah, it's I'm basically the Earth Nerd Anarchist on there too. So um, Hey, it's all good. I got a Reddit uh, account that is abolished religion from my early angsty teenage years. So I, yes. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I That's get it, awesome. man. Um, <laughs> so you, know, you just got to roll with it, right? You got to yeah. roll with it. And it sounds like you are. So, <laughs> all right. So that's that's her Twitter. That's her YouTube follow. Er Erica, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking yeah, to no us. Problem. And um, and hopefully we can get you back on in the future. Maybe, you know, do a little ramp up into the off gardening season to kind of get us all lined out again if we we strayed from the path. Oh, yeah. No problem. I would love that. All right. Well, thank you, Erica. And you have a wonderful day. Thanks. You too. All right. Bye. All right. All right. There you have it. I hope that you guys uh, enjoyed 
that interview. Uh, thanks for hanging tough and listening through through it. I, I did the best I could. I got to get better at learning how to rectify those those situations. But a huge thank you to you, and an even bigger thank you to Erica for putting up with it. So, uh, man, I learned some stuff. You know, I learned a little bit more about composting. Um, I'm anxious to try out that plate method for seedlings. Um, I, I'm just really pumped up, man. I'm excited. Um, good information, especially regarding, you know, checking out what region you're in for the uh, almanac and, and all of that. So um, I feel like I am a little bit more equipped to go into this next gardening season than I was. And that was the goal. And I hope you are too. Um, if you haven't tried gardening, there is no better time than the present. I mean, we are right now, we're in the prime time of getting ready, gearing up, you know, starting to take an inventory of what we're going to need going into the season. So you're not missing the boat. You know, right now is the the perfect opportunity to start. And, you know, she, she touched on it and, and so did I. You know, you can, if you live in an apartment, you can get a five-gallon bucket and, and there you go. That's that's a garden. That could be a garden for you. You know, get some potting soil, all of that. Um, I don't know where you're at, what grows best, but I think tomatoes are pretty much universally uh, easy to grow. Uh, I know mine, out of everything I grew last season, now where I ran into problems, where I had trouble was that my wonderful wife decided to get a puppy and uh, puppies and gardens don't mix y'all. So you already know, but the things that I had the most success growing last year were cucumbers and tomatoes. And so, you know, a five gallon bucket and some potting soil, boom, you got, you got a garden right there, you know, uh, grow some tomatoes, but anybody can do this. This is a awesome, um, you know, activity to do with your free time. And here's the thing, like I said, it, it is therapeutic. You know, there's something about playing in the dirt that we, we miss with, uh, you know, if you're anything like me, I play video games way too much, you know, playing PlayStation all the time or whatever, but getting outdoors and, you know, providing some nice relaxing time to just focus on these plants and, and figure out what's going on and, and go through the whole process. I don't know. There's something about it. So I hope that this interview kind of piques some interest. I hope that this is something that you guys want to get involved with. And um, yeah, yeah, get on down through there. So follow Erica on Twitter. Uh, follow her YouTube. Like she said, she's going to be doing some videos um, pertaining to, you know, uh, preservation and, and all of that, you know, after the fact, what to do with your plants, but, but she's also got some good content that's already up. So give her a follow, check her out. And, uh, yeah, that'll bring us to the song of the day. And what better song I think than 21st century digital boy by bad religion. Uh, this song is all about returning to kind of tradition, you know, getting away from this hyper digital age. And, you know, here's the thing, man, you don't need all the digital Bluetooth hookups and everything. It's the ground. It's dirt and plants. It's something that transcends culture altogether. So, you know, kind of unplug a little bit this next season. Plan on doing that. And uh, think about this song whenever you're doing that. So uh, with that, I'm going to leave you guys with Bad Religion, 21st Century Digital Boy. I can't believe it. No way. 